We continue our summer sermon series through selected psalms. Before we, in unison, read the psalm for this morning, Psalm 121, let us uh, pray that the Lord will bless the hearing and reading of his word. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, bless now the reading and proclaiming of your word by the power of your spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May you be exalted and glorified. And may we be edified and built up as your holy people. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and for his sake, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Now let us read in unison Psalm 121. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. It is written. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 121 has been known as the Traveler's Psalm. The psalm has been used by countless numbers of God's faithful servants before embarking on a perilous journey or in the midst of their travels. For instance, a famous missionary, David Livingstone, read Psalm 121 in family worship just before setting out. For Africa in 1840. And indeed, it has been used by travelers through the generations, for this is what it was used for in its historical context. You see, it is one of the 15 psalms in this section of the Psalter that make up the Songs of Ascent. There has been debate among scholars about what this title refers to. But most agree that these psalms were used by Jewish pilgrims who were making the journey to Jerusalem to worship in the temple there and to participate in one of the major religious festivals. Jerusalem, by the way, is the highest city in Palestine, so anyone traveling there would be ascending on their journey. These psalms make up what was a sort of collection of songs for the road, if you will up to Jerusalem. So if you look at Psalm 120, the first of the songs of ascent, then you will find the lament of one who is living away from Israel, living in the midst of a wicked people, people who do not fear the Lord or seek to live in obedience to him. Psalm 121 then is a psalm of one who has set out on the pilgrimage to Jerusalem and is a reminder that God is with the traveler on the journey. 
The psalm recognizes the danger, dangers a traveler would face. Loose rocks underfoot that could trip the traveler up and cause injury. A blazing sun up above that all of us living in Louisiana this time of year recognize the dangers of. Mental exhaustion that accompanies the physical fatigue and anxiety of any long and dangerous journey. This, by the way, is the reference to the moon striking the traveler at night in verse 6. When does this mental exhaustion set in but at night when the traveler lies down and has time to think about the difficulties that are to come or the dangers that are particularly present at night. This is the source of our words lunacy and lunatic. They come from Luna, the moon. Anyhow, the psalm assures the traveler that God is sovereign over all things, over all dangers, and is present with the traveler. The pilgrim is promised God's provision, God's protection, God's preservation. And as a traveler psalm, Psalm 121 has been on my mind a lot lately. It was certainly one that I recalled and recited to myself as we made our way through airports and onto airplanes. As we rode standing in the back of a truck for three hours each way through the mountains of Guatemala, passing through areas recently struck by mudslides, looking down hundreds of feet into valleys just off the side of the road. As we hiked, sometimes in pouring rain, five miles down a steep, muddy mountain trail into the village of Lapita Floja, and back out again two days later, there were many dangers and difficulties which seemed to face us. But is this psalm really promising that a believer will never sprain an ankle on the trail? or get a sunburn, or become overwhelmed with anxiety or despair or worse. All of you who were here last week and heard Pastor John's fabulous sermon on Psalm 13 know that the believer will face tribulations in this life. This has been your experience and mine. Psalm 121 then is not promising that the life of the believer will be some quiet escape to a garden where we can live free from strife and discomfort. The question is not whether or not we will need help. The psalm assumes this, that we will need to be watched over, protected, preserved. The question is, where does our help come from? And secondarily, what is the form of this help? And this is where the psalm gets Interesting. So imagine with me the journey to Jerusalem. Perhaps some of you have been in this part of the world. These pilgrims would have been traveling perhaps through valleys, along rivers, over mountain passes, many miles. Can you imagine their feet and legs aching from the hike, their muscles sore, their mouths parched from the dry desert heat, their stomachs emaciated from the meager rations. Can you imagine the nights, pitch black, a tired and weary body needing rest, but fearful of what animal or human might be lurking close by? And as they made this tedious journey, they would be looking up at the hills that surrounded them. And what do you think they saw there? 
What sat on these high places? Pagan temples. God's people were surrounded by the religion of high places. Places of worship that beckoned these taxed travelers. Come and find rest. Come and find protection. Do you fear the sun's heat? Make an offering to the sun priest for protection against the sun god. Do you fear the effects of the moon's rays? The moon priestess has an amulet for that. What about the demons that cause you to trip on rocks? Come and learn the incantation to ward off this mischief. Do you see what's happening here? I lift my eyes to the hills From where does my help come? In the midst of great temptation to look elsewhere for help, Psalm 121 is reminding us that God, the one true God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the one who created all the hills, is the only one in whom to place our faith and trust. The psalm mocks the Canaanite gods. These so-called gods have to be aroused out of their drunken slumber. Do you recall Elijah's words from 1 Kings 18.27 as Elijah confronts the priests of Baal? Cry aloud, he tells them, for he is a god. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Verse 3 of Psalm 121. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Our God does not sleep. He does not need to be aroused. He has an ever watchful eye on his beloved children. It is God who keeps us. It is God who provides for us, protects us, preserves us. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you understand? The issue here is not physical protection, preservation. The issue is that nothing can thwart God's saving work. The issue is that nothing can pluck those whom God loves from his hand. He is in control over all natural and supernatural forces, and nothing can separate us from his love. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing. God is at every step of the way protecting us from all the evil that surrounds us on all sides at all times, preventing it from penetrating into us to undo us. God is making all things, even that which intends to harm us, to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the promise of Psalm 121. 
God isn't just there at the beginning of the journey. He isn't just there at the end. Do you understand? Psalm 121 is telling us, reminding us that we don't need supplemental help in the in-between. Seeking help in the hills is an unneeded detour on our journey. For help from the hills always ends in disappointment. As the prophet Jeremiah stated, truly the hills are a delusion. The orgies on the mountains truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. And so Psalm 121 is a traveler's psalm. To not only offer hope, but to keep us on the right path. Do you want to know when the meaning of it struck me with the greatest clarity while I was on my journey in Guatemala a week and a half ago? It wasn't at any of the times I have just mentioned before. It was standing on the top of a hill with a beautiful overlook of the city of San Cristobal. It was looking over the city that we had prayed for. It was looking at this gorgeous scenery of the mountains rising up around the city. It was standing there, a cool, crisp mountain breeze in my face, thankful that I wasn't soaking hot, as my little Kindy Elise likes to say of the weather here in Monroe. And everything seemed so perfect, but it wasn't. For we were standing next to a blue building on that hill overlooking the city. The inside charred and dirty from the many burnt sacrifices which had been offered there. You see, we stood on a Mayan high place. I knew that many had come there seeking help, seeking favor of the gods. And I had no idea what had been offered, but I was keenly aware in the moment that crops were historically not the only offerings given to the Mayan gods. Human sacrifices were supposedly particularly pleasing to the gods, including children, many children, sacrificed on their pagan altars. The thought of it made my stomach sour, and I not so privately wished that a lightning bolt might come from heaven and burn this building to the ground. Hopefully not while we were next to it, though. (laughs) And as I looked over this city, I mourned the lostness of these people who made the hike up there to offer a sacrifice. But let me ask you, are we so different? Where do we look for help in the big things of life? How about in the small things? These songs of ascent are not merely a collection of songs for the road to Jerusalem. They also serve as a metaphor for life lived in faithful obedience to God. It's a journey of faith. It's a life of upward mobility, a life which moves Godward, a life of ever-increasing faithfulness, a life of being shaped ever more into the image of our Savior. The Psalms are not just about making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They are about the pilgrimage to God, the ascent upward to him. And you know what? It happens day by day in the big things, in the little things, in the momentous occasions, but mainly 
in the mundane, the day-by-day drudgery of life where most of our lives get lived out, a moment-by-moment decision to follow the Lord, to place our faith in him, to look to him alone for help, knowing that he holds all things together. Psalm 121 is about God's providence, yes. It reminds us of his promise to provide, to protect, to preserve us. But you want to know what else it's about? Discipleship. Discipleship. When I was in Guatemala, I quoted Nietzsche to several of my teammates just before we left for Lapita Floja. Now, any of you who know anything about Nietzsche, you probably wouldn't expect a Reformed pastor to be quoting him except to show the error of his philosophy. But when Paul West reminded us to take our time on the way down and on the way back up the mountain, all I could think of was one of Nietzsche's sayings. Nietzsche once said of Taurus, they climb mountains like animals, stupid and sweating. One has forgotten to tell them that there are beautiful views on the way up. I thought that that was an applicable quote to what we were about to do. Don't just run up the mountain and run back down. Take time to enjoy the journey. Interestingly, though, Nietzsche has another quote that is very applicable to the way in which we should endeavor to live our lives in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ and in response to his mercy and grace. And here it is. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which made life worth living. Perhaps never has a pagan philosopher hit the nail on the head of the Christian life like Nietzsche did with this comment. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. This is what Paul is articulating in Philippians 3. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Following Jesus is about daily learning to die to self, picking up our cross and following him. It's about daily practicing disciplines which go against our old sinful nature. It's about daily killing our sins lest they kill us. It's about daily putting on the garments of Christ. Clothing ourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness and love. Dearly beloved, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. Hence the title of Eugene Peterson's book on the songs of ascent. A long obedience in the same direction. His subtitle is discipleship in an instant society. And Peterson makes this observation at the beginning of his book. It is not difficult in such a world, meaning a world where everything is at our fingertips, instantly accessible and acquirable. 
It's not difficult in this world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to be born again, but the evidence of mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture, anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world There is little enthusiasm for patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Do you see the challenge of Psalm 121? It isn't just offering hope and confidence in God. It's challenging us to stay on the right path, steering clear of seeking help in the hills. The problem Psalm 121 poses to us is that we believe that God is with us in the beginning of our journey, and we believe that God is with us at the end of our journey, but what about the in-between? Do you believe that God is with you every step of the way? And do we respond to his presence? Are we seeking his guidance and direction in every decision, big and small? Are we seeking his help in every trial, big and small? And so is our faith moving in a direction specifically towards God. Are we straining forward to what lies ahead? Or is our faith characterized by little excursions? Do we have a tourist mindset of our faith that is indicative of so much of the world today? Are we looking for religious experience, dabbling here and there, hoping for the next retreat, the next mountaintop experience, but living most of life in the valley, looking up at the hills for supplemental help to just get by? Psalm 121 is a warning against approaching faith in a dualistic manner of having a Sunday life in a rest-of-the-week life. It warns us against a fragmented faith of a life lived in multiple directions. It warns against looking to God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, for big things. But to make our way through the world and every other aspect of our life by using worldly wisdom and worldly means. And it sounds so silly, it seems so obvious when you're standing next to a Mayan high place, but really, where do you look for help? What sacrifices do you make that things might go well with you? And to what or whom do you make them? I don't think it is at all hard to slip into thinking that God has better things to do than to watch over the mundane details of our lives. And so when we wonder... When we wonder what we should be wearing, we pick up a fashion magazine while we stand in the grocery store line. Or when we wonder what our home should look like, we turn on HGTV. Or when we wonder what we should do for vacation, we get on Facebook and we see what our friends are doing. Or even when we wonder what to do with a conflict in our workplace or with a strong-willed child, we search Amazon for the latest and greatest self-help book. None of these things do we take to the Lord because surely God doesn't condescend to consult with us about what paint color to pick out for our den. 
You see, the hills have convenient remedies for our problems. They have what seem to be effective and efficient solutions to make us feel better and healthier and stronger and cooler. So we make decisions, and then we ask the Lord to bless them. But hey, at least we aren't sacrificing our children on the altars of the gods of this world, are we? Surely our children are never the victims of our worldly ambitions. Surely our children never pay the price for our desires for things to be seen as socially acceptable. Right? Right. Beloved, you want to know what to wear? Put on Christ. You want to know what your home should look like? Welcome one another with Christian hospitality as God has welcomed you. You want to know what to do with your vacation time? We're taking reservations for Guatemala next year. You want to know what your ambition should be for your child? Make it your central aim to raise him in the discipline and instruction of the Lord before you ever concern yourself with him being an A-plus student, an all-star athlete, a Broadway-bound performer, or the president of his student body. I'm not just being silly. God cares about our decision in these areas of our lives, and he's got something to say about them. As Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole dominion of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. God cares. But most of all, he wants us to be as intentional in our pursuit of him as we are with the way we dress and decorate our home and plan our vacations and our children's futures. Discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction day by day by day in every aspect of life. It is the same direction through hilltops and valleys, through trials and tribulations, through the mundane and the extraordinary. Psalm 121 is telling us that the same faith that works in the big thing, things works in the little things. That the God of Genesis 1 who brought light out of darkness is also the God of this day who guards you from every evil. Dearly beloved, be aware that just as those who are journeying to Jerusalem so many years ago looked to the hills and were tempted with places that promised to calm their deepest fears and quench their deepest thirsts, the hills are beckoning you subtly but powerfully come and find rest here. Come and find protection, health, wealth, hope, power, prestige. The hills have all you need, all you want. As Martin Luther says in his great hymn, this world is with devils filled, which threaten to undo us. And it is one of the many clever tricks of the evil one that he also allures us with the promises of comfort and protection from all that threatens us in this world. All we have to do is follow him. Or at least be distracted from following Jesus. Dearly beloved, there is but one hill that we can look for for help and hope. 
It is Calvary's hill on which Jesus Christ hung on a cross for us. It was on that hill that victory over evil was secured. And it was on that hill that God's own son gave himself up for us and bore the penalty of our sins that we might become conquerors with him. In him alone do you find your rest, your peace, your joy, your hope, your shelter. He is the right man who is on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And he is closer than any hill and more real than any of their promises. Every other hill is a counterfeit. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I want to offer you a challenge this morning. I challenge you to think about discipleship in an intentional manner. The Christian life is a journey with a beginning and an end, and you don't wind up there by accident. We are called to respond to God's grace by which we have been set free from the devil to set our face in a specific direction and to begin to put one foot in front of the other in a purposeful way that we might journey to God. It's about learning to eliminate all which distracts and disorients us from our destination. How are you doing at this? How are you living as a disciple? Are you just wandering, hoping to somehow just wind up in the right place? Or are you moving with purpose? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we lift our eyes to the hills. Lord, and we confess with the prophet Jeremiah that they are a delusion. So we lift our eyes to you and we set our gaze on you. Lord, help us to make our lives move in your direction. Day by day in big decisions and small, help us to be your disciples. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. Let us now stand and affirm what we believe using the Heidelberg Catechism.